0: A pretty basic story that we've all heard countless times. Countless times. If you grew up in church, you've heard that story. This thing's going to fall over with my weight, but that's all right. Uh, Countless times if you grew up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, I promise you, you've heard the phrase, David and Goliath. Right, it's part of popular culture. We probably heard it this week when most of y'all—I'm assuming 100% of you in this room—had your bracket busted by a 16-seed David taking out a number one seed Goliath, right? In your NCAA tournament, my bracket was not busted because I did not fill out a bracket, so therefore I'm good to go um, in that process. But we've heard this phrase "David and Goliath" a lot, right? And we're in the middle of this series of God's renown revealed, where we're looking at these familiar stories, these stories that we've all heard countless times, and trying to see them in a slightly different light, where we can look at them and say, where is the fame of God being increased or amplified in this story? How is God's renown or his glory or his fame in the world being increased in the midst of this story. And so that's where we're headed this morning with David and Goliath. So just a heads up, that's where we're going. Um, How do we get there? I mean, it's a simple story that we've all heard so many times. How do we get there? And for me, I'm gonna be honest, I struggled trying to find an angle of this story that felt different, right? Because we've all heard it. And sometimes we don't need a different angle. Sometimes we just need The story. And I think that's what God gave me, but I think He also gave me something fresh to say in the midst of this story. So, are y'all cool going with me? We're going to fly. We're going to walk through this story. I don't have a ton of extra illustrations this morning. I just got the scripture of God. I don't have a ton of like wizened anecdotes. I just have the scripture of God. And so, I'm just going to trust Him with this. Um, Because of of myself, I've got nothing, but I've got to trust God in this. So let's pray, and we'll dig into this story. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, the truth that we just sang about. That in the midst of our weakness, you are strong. In the midst of our own uh, struggles, God, you are are a foundation we can stand on. And so God, as we dig into your word this morning, as we dig into this story that is unfolding before us in your scripture, God, I ask that you reveal yourself to us in a new way, that you speak to us in a new light, that you give us something that we can leave this place and say, I did not realize that about my God. So God, speak through me use me this morning. Open our eyes and hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the way I decided to kind of go about this story is to look at the three characters in the story and to kind of just get an idea of who these people are in order to fully understand how they moved about in this story. So I wanted to understand who these three people are. So we have three main characters in the story. We've got Saul, we've got David, and we've got Goliath. Those are our main characters in this whole thing. And so we're just going to kind of break down right off the top who these people are, what's their backstory, and how do we get in to the actual meat of this, the battle that happens. Right. So we're going to start with Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. Saul's the king of Israel. You can um, find that earlier in in the Old Testament where, where Israel says, hey, we have been led by God for a long time, for generations. God is leading us and we are now a nation and we're kind of established a little bit. And Israel starts to look around them. They start to look around them and seeing the people around them. And they say, you know what? Those other nations, they have kings and we don't have a king. So what do we need to do about that so they go and they they plead with God give us a king and God says I'm your king why do you need a king I'm your king and Israel says no we need a king and so God finally says okay I'm going to give you a, a king and his name is Saul Saul scripture says is a head taller than everybody else uh, and, and incredibly good looking like myself All right thank you thank, thank you so Saul becomes king. He looks like a king. He's a warrior. He's a head taller. He's ruggedly handsome. And he's leading Israel for a time. And Samuel is the prophet of God for Israel. And Samuel is relaying what God is asking Saul, how God is asking Saul to lead. And he's relaying this to Saul. And at one point in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Samuel comes to Saul and says, Saul, God wants you to go to the nations around us and destroy them. Not just go and occupy the land, but go and wipe them off of the face of the earth. Every person, every animal, everything that they have, destroy it. This is what God is calling Saul and the armies of Israel to do. And so Saul, in his leadership, gathers his armies and they head out to go fight this other nation. And as they are fighting, as they are fighting, Saul and his men notice that the things that these people have are pretty nice. They've got some fattened calves and they've got some really nice sheep and they've got some oxen that would be really nice to have ourselves. So instead of destroying these things, they take them for themselves. So instead of doing what God asks them to do, they do their own thing. And they take these things for themselves, even to the point where they take the king of this nation and they bring him back alive. They defy what God asks them to do. They turn their backs on the word of God. And Samuel the prophet of God calls Saul out in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 26. It says this, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So the king that God gave Israel has now been rejected by God. Why? Because he tried to do things on his own. He tried to take control of the situation and do things on his own. That's Saul's downfall. And if you read on, Saul is tormented with the loss of the presence of God in his life. Because he's trying to do things on his own. So Saul is rejected as king. That's our first guy. He's king, and then he's rejected, Saul. Our second character is David. David, we all kind of know this story. So Saul is rejected as king, and Samuel now hears from God. Why are you still grieving over Saul? Go find a new king. And God sends Samuel to Bethlehem, to the house of David, to find this new king, or to the house of Jesse, to find this new king. Samuel knocks on the door with Jesse. They have a conversation, and Jesse shows Samuel his sons, He sends seven sons past Samuel, and all of them are, they look the part. They look like a king. They look like Saul did, a head taller and regularly handsome and a warrior. And Samuel's like, God, these are the guys, right? One of these guys is going to be the guy. And God keeps saying, no, this isn't him. This isn't him. This isn't him. And finally, as the last son moves past Samuel, Samuel turns to Jesse and says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And it's like a light bulb moment. Oh yeah, he's in the field tending the sheep. It's the youngest boy who's overlooked in this moment. And they run and get him and bring him in. And God says, rise and anoint him for he will be the next king of Israel. And in verse chapter 16, verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So Saul has been rejected by God, the spirit of God removed from him, and now David being anointed by God as the next king of Israel, the spirit of God rushed in to his life, from that day forward. That's a pretty big moment in a little boy's life. Probably has no idea what's going on. But God says, this is my guy. This is who, on whom my spirit will rest and lead my people in this moment. So we have Saul rejected, David anointed by God. And then we have Goliath. Goliath. The Philistines and the Israelites were lined up for battle. In verse chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, starting in verse 2, it says this, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other with the valley between them. So imagine this picture One army on one side of this valley lined up. Another army on the other side of this valley lined up, facing each other, ready to fight. And out of this situation comes Goliath. Comes Goliath. Verse four, and there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits, in a span. I want you guys to understand what that means. That means nine feet, nine inches tall. I am six feet, six inches tall. I'm considered very tall in our world. Goliath was a freak, man. This dude was huge. I can't buy clothes in a store. Goliath couldn't find clothes online or anywhere. They don't fit him, right? He is a big man, He had a helmet of bronze on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze or 125 pounds. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron or 15 pounds and his shield-bearer went before him and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel why have you come up come out to draw up for battle am i not a philistine and are you not the servants of Saul choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me if he's able to fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants but if i prevail against him and kill him then you Shall be our servants and serve us. So Goliath shows up on the scene, every bit as mean and gross and disgusting as you can imagine. And he calls out Saul's army Hey, come fight me. I'm here. Step up. And he does this for 40 days. And scripture says, Saul and all of the Israelites were frightened and scared. Saul, who's supposed to lead the Israelites, who's supposed to lead the Israelites, is frightened and scared. It's crazy, right? Can you imagine standing on one side of the valley and seeing a giant call you out? And everything inside of you says, run away. We will be destroyed if we try and step one foot onto the battlefield. So Saul, rejected by God as king. David, anointed by God as king. And Goliath, a disgusting giant. Who's defying the armies of the living God. Those are our characters today. That's who we can try and relate to in this story. So, as we finish this story, as we dig through the rest of this piece, I want you to think about who in your life are you relating to in this story? Is it Saul, the guy who tries to control every situation? Is it Goliath, the guy who's defying the armies of the living God, who's purposefully fighting against what God has going on? Or are you like David? And we'll see what David's like here shortly. So David heads to visit his brothers at the battle line. And he shows up and he hears Goliath's call. Come out and fight me. Come out and fight me. If you win, we will be your servants. If I win, you will be our servants. And everybody around him is terrified. And David is standing there going, why are we acting like this? Why are we reacting like this to this situation? It says, David asks the people around him, what's going to happen to the guy who goes out here and defeats him? And they tell him of all the glories he will get. And eventually, Word of David's questioning and wondering why we aren't fighting Goliath gets to the ears of Saul. Gets to the ears of Saul. And in chapter 17, verse 32, David finally in front of Saul says this. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. David, a boy, in order to be in the Israelite army at that time, you had to be 20 years old. So David was younger than 20. His three oldest brothers are in the army. So he has four other brothers who are younger than 20. And then there's David. So you can do the, uh, the biological math there but he's probably not older than 16 at this time. And David says to the king of Israel, I got this. Let me go fight him. I got this. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. See, David takes this from being a physical fight to being a spiritual fight. He takes it from being a giant versus a nation who's terrified of a giant to a giant versus the God of his ancestors. David recognizes that this isn't about my own power and might, but it's about the might of the creator of the universe. He's defied the armies of the living God, David says. This is bigger than just us. This is God. David's clued into something more than what everybody else is. So Saul clothed David, verse 38, with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he'd not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't go with these because I've not tested them. So he took them off and he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So Saul says, okay, David, If you want to go, you can go. But first, I'm going to try and protect you a little bit. A, so that I probably look like a good guy because I gave you some armor, some something that's going to protect you a little bit because I am the king and I want people to think that I know what I'm doing, so I'm going to protect you a little bit. And he puts his own armor. I'm assuming this armor has been polished by servants. This is the brightest armor you've ever seen in the world, right? He puts it on David, and David is overwhelmed by it. He can't move. And he says, Saul, I can't do this like this. Let me go with my sling and my stones and his staff. And that's it. David recognizes the spiritual war that's happening. Saul tries to control the situation by doing his own thing. Just like he did before when he was rejected by God. And David heads out into battle with virtually nothing. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ready and handsome in appearance. Can you believe? Can you imagine being Goliath, being a giant and calling them out, "Send me your greatest champion. Send me the guy that's going to put up a fight with me." And out comes a little boy. His pride must have been knocked down a couple of pegs in that moment. He had disdain for David. And the Philistine said to David verse 43, "Am I a dog?" that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his own gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David, in his small voice, small teenage voice, said to the Philistine, You come at me with sword and spear and with a javelin, but I come to you today in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there was a God in Israel and all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And we know what happens, right? David says, I'm not coming at you the way you think I'm gonna come at you. I'm coming at you with God on my side. And he takes his sling and a stone and he winds up and he sends it. And it knocks Goliath down and then David takes Goliath's own sword and cuts off his head. Verse forty-eight. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Head, and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. See, in the midst of this story, in our three characters, Goliath defying the God of the universe and Saul trying to control the situation on his own. And now David, a young boy who recognizes that this is more than just a physical war. This is a spiritual war that's happening, says, I'm going to trust the God that created me and the God of the ancestors that came before me that walked us out of Egypt, as we talked last week, that created the universe, as we talked about the week before. This God, I'm gonna trust him because I've seen him work in the past. How do I know that? Because a lion and a bear tried to take my sheep and God helped me defeat them. I've seen God work in the past. And he leans in. Whoa. And this week, as I was preparing this message, I kept saying, God, what do you have for me personally? What do you have for me personally in this story? Because I've read it hundreds of times, whether it be in a children's Bible or in scripture itself, I've read this story hundreds of times. I've probably read it to my daughter 50 times in the past year. What do you have for me in this story and as I was um, working this week, I had to drive about an hour away and then an hour back for work this week. And in the car, I was listening to an audiobook. I was listening to um, A Wrinkle in Time, which is a movie out now. And I was like, you know what? I read that book when I was a child. I'm gonna listen to it again. And I listened to the book and it's a fine book and it's an interesting story about somebody overcoming something. But at the end of the book, the granddaughter of the author, reads an afterword. And as she's reading, she quotes her grandmother. And her grandmother said this to her, To love is to be vulnerable, and it's only in vulnerability and risk, not safety and security, that we overcome darkness. It's in vulnerability and risk, not safety and security, That we overcome darkness. And that is when the light bulb switched for me. That this isn't a story about David, a young man, walking out on the field with confidence saying, I got this. This is David walking out on the field completely vulnerable to the giant that is before him. Completely taking a huge risk with his own life and the life of his family and the people of God. And saying, God, I trust you in this moment. I am vulnerable in this moment. And the shadow of darkness that the giant was casting before them was wiped out in that moment. You see, Saul was trying to make everything safe and secure for his people, trying to control the situations around them, trying to, oh, these are nice oxen, these are nice cattle, I'm going to bring them back to our people because it's going to make us more safe and more secure. Trying to do things on his own. Hey, David, as you're heading out to battle, here's some armor to make you more safe and more secure so that you don't die out there. Trying to control the situation. That wasn't going to work in that moment. Goliath, taking the entire battle on his own shoulders. Everything is of himself in that moment. Come out here and fight me today. And David walks out onto the battlefield, completely vulnerable, completely exposed, and says, I'm gonna defeat you, but not by my own means, but by the means of God the Father the God of the armies of the Israelites. It's not in safety and security that we win battles. It's in vulnerability and risk. Trusting that God has it. That God has control of the situation. So for you today, in this moment, in this place, What is the thing that is in your life that you are trying to control on your own? And God is tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, let me take this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to require you to risk something. And it's going to require you to be vulnerable in this moment. And when we say yes to God in that moment... His glory and his fame and his renown is amplified to the world around us. What did David say? He said, this day the world will know that there is a God. When we are vulnerable and when we take a risk and trust God, oh, how the glory of God is amplified in the world around us. Why? Because it's not of our own might. It's only his. I can't say that I did this on my own. I have to say God did this on my behalf. And I trust him. So today, in your life, what does that look like? What does that look like? Is it with an addiction that you're just trying to fight, fight, fight this addiction? And you're doing everything that you can And God's saying, trust me with it. Trust me with it. Maybe it's in a marriage where you are struggling and you are fighting and you are trying to do everything that you can on your own to hold it together. And God's saying, let it go and trust me with it. What is it in your own life? There are countless examples, countless examples. And God's saying, lean on me. We sing about it. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong. Give me faith, God, to trust you, to believe what you say. What is it that we're trying to control? What is it that we're trying to be like Saul in our own lives? You see, the beautiful thing about these stories that we're digging into is that in the midst of these stories, every single one of them points to the cross in some way. As we're leading up to Easter, every single one of these stories points to the cross. Do you want to talk about vulnerability? Jesus Christ gave of himself and died so that you and I might live, so that you and I might have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And oh, how his name has been amplified from that day forward. Oh, how his renown has been blown up in the world because of his vulnerability, of his willingness to give up everything of himself and say yes to God. God's renown is furthered when we give up of ourselves and trust Him in the moment. It's furthered when we give up of our own actions and trust Him. And we can say, God did this, not me. We can say, God did this and not me. So, has God asked you to risk something? So that his glory might be furthered in the kingdom. Has God asked you to give up something? And you keep saying, No, God, no. I'm holding on to this. I'm hanging on to this. I want to control this. And God's saying, Trust me. Trust me. Let it go. God uses us when we're vulnerable to point to himself. Instead of grandstanding and trying to make ourselves look better and bigger and more holy and more spiritual, God says, be vulnerable and I'll use you. So how can we be vulnerable today? In this place. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. But how can we take this story of David walking out onto a battlefield, completely exposed, and make it to our own lives? So today we're going to worship... We're gonna worship and we're gonna sing three songs and the songs that we're singing have been picked with a purpose. That we wanna recognize who this God is first. We wanna recognize who this God is first. And we're gonna sing, great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise. And then after that, we're gonna sing a song called Freedom Reigns. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom reign in this place. Where does freedom come from? From giving up of your own control and trusting him. And then we'll sing a portion of the song we sang earlier. Give me faith, God, to trust you in this moment. Give me faith, God, to trust you this week this month, this year, with whatever we're trying to control on our own. It seems hard, it seems difficult, it seems challenging, but God's called us to it. So as we worship here in a moment, some of our trustees will be available and our leadership will be available at these tables up front. If you just wanna pray, or just have somebody come with you and say, you know what, I'm going to go to God on your behalf and just pray over you that you will have the faith that you need in this moment. You can respond. Maybe today you're saying, I don't know this God you're talking about. Now's the time to come and meet him. they would be happy to talk to you about that. But today in this place, God is saying, stop grandstanding and stop trying to do everything on your own and come to me with vulnerability, completely exposed, and trust me. And we can see amazing things happen. Giants can fall. Lives can be changed. But the most important thing, God's glory and his fame will be amplified no matter what the outcome No matter what the outcome, God's glory and fame will be amplified. Why? Because we trust him. And when we trust him, his name and renown are blown up in the world around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your, these stories that point us to you. stories of, of victory, stories of, uh, of winning, stories of, of, of things where you are glorified. And so God, we want to take from this something a little different. Something where, where you point us to trusting you more in that moment trusting you more in these moments where the giants are knocking at our doors. And so God, as we worship you, expose us. As we worship you, let us be vulnerable vulnerable before you to trust you, to lean into you, to hear from you, Instead of trying to control the situations on our own, but to lean into you and to hear from you in your voice and to follow your footsteps. And we want to do that not so that our situations are fixed, but so that your name would be glorified. So that your renown might be furthered. So that you might become more famous in the world around us. God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. And all God's people said, amen.